Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to start with a comment today uh, because it's a great lead into our discussion today. This is a uh, email that I received from Philip Homeser. I-, I hope I'm saying that right, Homeser. Um, he says, Hey Chaz, I just recently discovered the podcast and I've really been enjoying it. I just listened to the Heavenly Music episode where you talked about how you weren't sure if life happens at conception or at birth. That reminds me of something else I recently discovered that pretty much convinced me that life definitely happens at conception. And that is, when the sperm meets the egg, there is a tiny flash of light. I was dumbfounded when I saw this for the first time. They say it's because of the zinc, and I'm no scientist, but I still thought it was incredibly remarkable. Of course, I could always be wrong. I don't know if we are sent there or created there, if this is the case, but something definitely seems to happen at conception. Very, very interesting. And after listening to many near-death experiences now, in almost every one of them, they describe love and God and souls as light. Anyway, I just thought you'd like to know. Keep up the good work and God bless. Thank you, Philip. What a great comment. And I, I'm interested in hearing more about this, uh, this thing with the sperm meets the egg, uh, the flash of light, whether it's, whether it's an actual transmission of photons or if it's, you know, it's something digital based on zinc or, you know, like you mentioned, or what. I'd be interested in hearing more about that. If any of you know more detail about that, that's interesting, very interesting. And, you know, I was thinking a little bit more about this, uh, about when life happens, uh, not, well, let me put it this way, when the spirit enters the body, because uh, obviously at the moment of conception, there is something of life, new life happening. I mean, you know, science makes that very clear. And yet from near-death experiences, we also learn that the body itself is a life independent of the spirit, though only independent in the sense that it can live without the spirit for some period of time, which is why you can have somebody, somebody's spirit leave their body and return 10 minutes later and their body, you know, like the instances of somebody having, um, there, there's uh, an example of that, uh, Dr. Moody gives in one of his books of a musician who is playing a concert, uh, piano piece. And he's just, just this beautiful, piano piece and as he's playing his spirit leaves his body and goes up into the corner of the concert hall and sees himself playing down there and then he sees this light and goes on to the other side for a time and has this beautiful experience i'll have to look that up one of these days we can have that be another episode and then returns to his body just as the uh, concert is finishing up and and Dr. Moody, of course, is very inquisitive as he is, he says, "Well, did they like the performance?" And he says, "He says, yeah, yeah, I think they reacted well." And his wife, who's not as modest as he is, and she replies, "They were on their feet. They were jumping. They were dancing. They were cheering. They were absolutely blown away by the performance." So <laughs> I love that. And and this guy, after having this experience, thinks thinks, well, if, if I've had this experience, surely other musicians have gone and had this experience. So he goes on and talks to his colleagues and finds out that this 
happens sometimes to musicians and and I've heard of it happening to astronomers as they're gazing in through their telescopes at space they suddenly have an out-of-body experience anyway the point is is that we know that the body can exist independent of the spirit although obviously there are limits to that you know when you hear of people driving having this out-of-body experience and when they come back they're pulling up in their driveway, you know, so their body was able to drive home. Okay, maybe it's that whole thing of, uh, of you know, being able to drive and then you get home and you're like, I don't even remember that ride. You know, it's like your body was doing all the work and your mind was somewhere else. Maybe there's something to that. Anyway, little tangent there, but I, I wanted to uh, read the, uh, I, I found the sample from uh, uh, Heaven is for Real, the book, um, by, uh, about Colton Burpo and his experience. Now, to give a little backdrop um, before going into the chapter we're going to read here, uh, Colton was four years old when he had, a, a, I believe, if I'm remembering right, severe pneumonia that, uh, at least they labeled it as pneumonia, it turned out to be something a little more serious, but anyway, it got to the point where they lost him for a time. He was, he, he was, com you know, uh, pretty close to out of it. He, he basically went into kind of a coma sort of thing for a time. And, um, you can read the book to get more details. It's very interesting, very interesting how it all plays out. And it's the dad that's writing the book who is a pastor or minister for his church. And he, of course, he believes in God, he believes in Jesus and so forth, but his four-year-old son coming back and suddenly having stories about heaven totally blows him away. And he's like, what do I do with this? And he's, and he's not exactly doubtful so much as he is kind of in awe at it. And he's, and he's kind of gathering information as it goes along, because often when children, especially young children, like a four-year-old, have a near-death experience, they don't think they've had anything that's completely unique from other people. They don't know that the experience they've had is is so unique that adults won't understand. They don't know that. They they may assume that everybody has had this kind of experience, and and he says something like, "Ah, oh, I miss heaven, you know, it, it, it's so pretty up there. And, oh, I love talking with Jesus and stuff. And, and uh, his dad was very careful not to put words in his mouth. Oh, did Jesus have this? Was the Jesus this? And, and, and so forth. But he would ask open-ended questions. You know, tell me about, you know, Jesus's hair. Tell me about, you know, little things to get more details from him. But he, he was careful not to heavily interrogate him about this because he's a four-year-old and he's going to get bored and go away and not want to talk about it anymore, you know, how four-year-olds are. And so he let this evolve naturally over time. And uh, many, uh, uh, quite, a, quite a while, I think, at least several weeks after this experience. Now, Colton has a little sister, or I mean, sorry, an older sister. And, um, and so it's just his sister and him are the only ones in the family at this point. And this is where we pick up in the story. This is from chapter 17 of Heaven is for Real. As the green days of summer gave way to a fiery fall, we talked with Colton about heaven every now and then, 
But one running conversation did emerge. When Colton saw Jesus in heaven, what did he look like? The reason for the frequency of this particular topic was that as a pastor, I woke up spending a lot of time in hospitals, in Christian bookstores, and at other churches, all places where there are lots of drawings and paintings of Christ. Often, Sonia and the kids were with me, so it became sort of a game. When we came across a picture of Jesus, we'd ask Colton, what about this one? Is this what Jesus looked like? Invariable. Invariably, Colton would peer for a moment at the picture and shake his tiny head. No, the hair's not right, he would say, or the clothes aren't right. This would happen dozens of time, times over the next three years, whether it was a poster in a Sunday school room, a rendering of Christ on a book cover, or a reprint of an old master's painting hanging on the wall of an old folks home. Colton's reaction was always the same. He was too young to articulate exactly what was wrong with every picture. He just knew they weren't right. One evening in October, I was sitting at the kitchen table working on a sermon. Sonia, his wife, was around the corner in the living room working on a business on the business books, uh, processing job tickets and sorting through payables. Cassie, his sister, played Barbie dolls at her feet. I heard Colton's footsteps padding up the hallway and caught a glimpse of him circling the couch where he planted himself directly in front of Sonia. Mommy, I have two sisters, Colton said. I put down my pen. Sonia didn't. She kept on working. Colton repeated himself. Mommy, I have two sisters. Sonia looked up from her paperwork and shook her head slightly. No, you have your sister Cassie, and do you mean your cousin Tracy? No, Colton clipped off the word adamantly. I have two sisters. You had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? At that moment, time stopped in the Burpo household, and Sonia's eyes grew wide. Just a few seconds before, Colton had been trying unsuccessfully to get his mom to listen to him. Now, even from the kitchen table, I could see then, or could see that her, he had her undivided attention. Who told you I had a baby die in my tummy? Sonia said, her tone serious. She did, Mommy. She said she died in your tummy. Then Colton turned and started to walk away. He had said what he had to say and was ready to move on. But after the bomb he'd just dropped, Sonia was just getting started. Before our son could get around the couch, Sonia's voice rang out in all-hands-on-deck red alert. Colton, Todd, Burpo, you get back here right now. Colton spun around and caught my eye. His face said, what did I just do? <laughs> I knew what my wife had been feeling. Losing that baby was the most painful event of her life. We had explained it to Cassie. She was older, but we hadn't told Colton, judging the topic a bit beyond a four-year-old's capacity to understand. From the table, I watched quietly as emotions rioted across Sonia's face. A bit nervously, Colton slunk back around the couch and faced his mom again, this time much more warily. It's okay, Mommy, he said. She's okay. God adopted her. Sonia slid off the couch and knelt down in front of Colton so that she could look into the eyes. Don't you mean Jesus adopted her? She said. 
No, Mommy, his dad did. Sonia turned and looked at me. In that moment, she later told me she was trying to stay calm, but she was overwhelmed. Our baby was, is, a girl, she thought. Sonia focused on Colton, and I could hear the effort it took to steady her voice. So what did she look like? She looked a lot like Cassie, Colton said. She's just a little bit smaller, and she has dark hair. Sonia's dark hair. As I watched, a blend of pain and joy played across my wife's face. Cassie and Colton have my blonde hair. She had even jokingly complained to me after her complained to me before. I carry these kids for nine months and they both come out looking like you. <laughs> now there was a child who looked like her, a daughter. I saw for the first hint of moisture glint in my wife's eyes. Now Colton went on without prompting. In heaven, this little girl ran up to me and she wouldn't stop hugging me. He said that in, he, he said in a tone that clearly indicated that he didn't enjoy all the hugging from a girl. <laughs> Maybe she was just happy that someone from her family was there, Sonia offered. Girls hug. When we're happy, we hug. Colton didn't seem convinced. Sonia's eyes lit up and she asked, What was her name? What was the little girl's name? Colton seemed to forget about all the yucky girl hugs for a moment. She doesn't have a name. You guys didn't name her. How did he know that? You're right, Colton, Sonia said. We didn't even know she was a she. Then Colton said something that still rings in my ears. Yeah, she said she just can't wait for you and Daddy to get to heaven. From the kitchen table, I could see that Sonia was barely holding it together. She gave Colton a kiss and told him he could go play. And when he left the room, tears spilled over her cheeks. Our baby is okay, she whispered. Our baby is okay. From that moment on, the wound from one of the most painful episodes in our lives, losing a child we had wanted very much, began to heal. For me, losing the baby was a terrible blow, but Sonia had told me that to her, the miscarriage not only seared her heart with grief, but also felt like a personal failure. You do all the right things, eat all the right things, and you pray for the baby's health. But still, this tiny baby dies inside you, she had once told me. I feel guilty. I know in my mind that it wasn't my fault, but there's still this guilt. We had wanted to believe that our unborn child had gone to heaven. Even though the Bible is largely silent on this point, we had accepted it on faith. But now, we had an eyewitness. A daughter we had never met was eagerly awaiting for us in eternity. From then on, Sonia and I began to joke about who would get to heaven first. There would be several reasons she had always wanted to outlive me. For one thing, a pastor's wife has to put up with being used as a sermon illustration a lot. If I died first, she's, she always told me, she'd finally get to tell the congregation all her stories about me. But now Sonia had a reason for wanting to reach heaven first. When she was pregnant with the, with the child we lost, 
we had picked out a boy's name, Colton, but we never could agree on a name for a girl. I liked Kelsey, but she liked Kate, Caitlin, and neither of us would budge. But now that we knew our little girl doesn't have a name yet, we constantly tell each other, I'm going to beat you to heaven and name her first. And that's the end of the chapter. If you haven't yet read this book, and no, the movie doesn't count, because while the movie is beautiful, the book's got incredible detail that uh, the movie doesn't isn't able to portray just because of time. Um, but it, I highly recommend the book, Heaven is for Real. Um, it does mention, I looked it up, um, that she was about two months pregnant when she lost the girl that's discussed uh, in, in the book. Um, because I think that's, that's a factor here in what we're talking about. So about two months, uh, I would assume that would be about eight weeks, eight to nine weeks um, pregnant. And before we discuss further about the time frame uh, for, you know, when a spirit might be assigned to a body, whether it's at conception or otherwise, I, uh, I'd like to share... A sample from a podcast that Betty Eadie uh, does. It's called uh, Embracing Life is the name of her podcast. I highly recommend looking it up. She doesn't, she isn't presently doing the podcast. She's only got maybe 20 or so episodes on it, but they're phenomenal. And, and so I highly recommend looking up um, Embracing Life with Betty Eadie. And in this particular episode, it is her sons, I believe, that are interviewing Roy Mills. Now, Roy Mills had a really, really unique experience. He had a near-death experience, but and I'm not clear if... Well, see, uh, what Roy Mills had is he had a memory of his uh, pre-mortal life. He has no break in his memory from the pre-mortal life into this life. Obviously, there's limitations in his ability to express. There may be some lost memories in terms of eternities because the, the mortal mind probably can't hold all that. But in terms of, you know, his experience before, his birth, and his growing up and so forth, there's no break in his memory. And in his book, he talks more about that uh, about how that was something that he specifically petitioned God for before he left. He says, can I have a memory of this place? And, and basically God says, you know, it's been a while since we've sent someone with their full memory intact. Uh, maybe it's time to do that. And, and I'm not clear whether this memory was clear throughout his life or if, if his near-death experience brought back that memory. I, I'm not entirely clear on that. Um, he doesn't go into much detail about that particular thing. But the point is, is that he has a full memory. And so he's offer, able to offer some insight into this question of uh, when a spirit arrives that most people would not have um, because of his memory of that whole experience. So I'm going to play a sample from a podcast episode where they are interviewing Roy Mills. And, and we're talking about being up in heaven, how we picked our mission, 
well, how do we, I mean, how do we get down here? How does that, all that work with the, the birth part? Is, do you recall any of that? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> My chain of, of conscious thought that's never ceased from the time I was created to now. Uh, I very well remember, remember coming out of heaven. There was an angel brought me down to earth and uh, took me to my mother. And uh, it's all featured in, in a couple chapters there in, in the book. So what you're telling, if, if I understand what you're saying, is that you were in, you recall being in, in your mother's t- stomach or inside? This, this angel put me right, uh, took me within about three or four feet of my mother no. and gave me a gentle push or glide, and instantly I was inside my uh, fetal body with inside my mother. And you had cognitive thought. I mean, you were thinking while you were there. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, I was that, able to think. That's quite an answer then for the uh, uh, when does a fetus become a baby story. How how long, far along do you think the fetus was? I was I would say a month and a half to two months. But also I found out that once I entered this fetal body, it had the ability, uh, had profound thought. And uh, so I, so you could think like like we're thinking now. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Hmm. So and uh, when you okay, so you're this now you're in this fetus. You're an embryo, and you're looking around. Uh huh. Okay, what are you thinking? Well, I was wondering, I wasn't on earth and I wasn't in heaven anymore. Where was I at? Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but were you comfortable? Yeah, very comfortable. I was very comfortable. I could, uh, it was warm. I was real warm. I was real comfortable where I was at. I could still communicate with the angel that was in the heaven, uh, angel guide. While you were in your mother's stomach? Absolutely. You Whoa. could still communicate with the angels? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Roy, could you hear your, could you hear your mother and father speaking? Yes, I, could, I knew everything she knew. I could think the same thoughts that she thought I knew. I could feel her emotions and wow. I also could hear what she heard and see what she saw if I wanted to. And, you uh, could see what she saw? What do you mean? I could look through her eyes. No way. I could see anything. I could feel anything. It was just like she and I was one. Wow. And now, one of the things that you said in your book that I thought was absolutely fascinating was that the voice of the, your angel that prepared you, that uh, was your teacher, sort of speak up in heaven, right. that the voice that she used in heaven is the same voice as your mother. What Can you explain that in a little bit detail? Yeah, she, uh, <clears throat> as, as she was teaching me in the, in the last days in heaven before I came to earth, she started using my mother's voice. And I asked her, I said, well, why are you doing that for? And she said, this is the reason I'm using your mother's voice is where you would know your mother's voice when you're born. You'll be used to it. Wow. I guess Dad's got cut out. Yeah. Of the process. <laughs> I bet, well, Roy, why don't I remember any of this? Well, see, I was born without the veil, and they, I met several people around the country that can remember bits and pieces of it, but as far as I know, there's nobody that enjoys the most complete, intact uh, conscious memory like I got. And only God granted this to me. If he hadn't granted it, I would be just like everyone else and would not be able to remember what a response. What an incredible uh, way of seeing things. What an incredible uh, experience uh, for Roy Mills to be able to remember. And uh, if, if you get the book, he, he got, goes into more detail about that uh, experience of you know, approaching God with his question. And he talks about the throne of God and and just a beautiful, beautiful description. In fact, this podcast episode, <clears throat> they read a chapter of him receiving his, his call 
And so I highly recommend this. This is, uh, again, Betty Eady's uh, podcast, Embracing Life. And we have, uh, in his book, um, Roy Mills' book is called A Soul's Remembrance. I will add that to the bookstore along with Heaven is for Real by Todd Burpo, who is Colton Burpo's father. He's the one that wrote the book. And uh, so I'll put those in the bookstore section of the podcast. I, I just uh, like being able to have a place where you can go and, you know, if you're wanting to get the book of the people who've had these experiences, I've been putting them there so that you can read further about the individual instances. What these two, as well as other experiences, have brought me to the conclusion of, and I have mentioned this many times before, but um, is that there doesn't seem to be uh, a rock-hard set time, you know, that, you know, at the moment of conception or the moment of birth or where uh, the spirit enters and stays in the body until death. There seems to be this period of transition into this life. From what Roy says, not only did he get that, you know, little shove from his angel that sent him into his mother's womb, and where he was comfortable and warm and felt his mother's love and felt his, uh, was able to even think his mother's thoughts and hear, see through her eyes and so forth, which is beautiful. I mean, incredible. But also he was able to come out and uh, visit with his angels. He was conversing with his angels uh, on a continual basis, it sounds like, or on a regular basis. And, uh, and so there's this period of kind of coming in and out until the time of, of birth. And I'm only assuming that, I, well, and from even uh, other experiences, we find that it's possible that uh, the spirit is, is coming in and out of the baby's body. I know from being a father that there are many interesting stages and levels of sleep in a child <laughs> where, you know, are they asleep or are they awake is not always the only two options. It's like, you know, there's somewhere between awake and asleep, I would say, you know, between a one and a 10, and they're about, about a four right now, you know, <laughs> 10 being fully awake and one being asleep or whatever. You know, there's, there's many levels of sleep and it makes me wonder. And again, all of this, I don't want to say it's all speculation because, you know, people have had experiences that suggest these things but in my understanding from what I've heard and and so forth, it seems to me that the answer is that sometimes they're in and sometimes they're out. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's very possible that many, when they first come at the moment of con- conception, are in the, in the womb and others at... Uh, you know, at the moment of birth, others, you know, their first time coming in as at some time, sounds like Roy Mills, it was, you know, a month and a half or so with uh, uh, Colton's sister, uh, Todd Burpo's daughter. Um, they were two months along when they lost her and she was, she already was a spirit assigned to this fetus and, uh, and she was deeply excited to meet her parents someday. Um, that was her life experience was in the womb, it, which sounds tragic in a way. But when you think about what they're leaving behind and what's here, I imagine 
that there are spirits that are so valiant, so loving, that they simply don't need this experience in order to grow in terms of the experience of you know taking their first step and 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 you getting married and, and and you know getting hurt here and and so forth there's some that may just need to come to enough to be assigned to a body and and then be able to return but they are still there and they are still absolutely full on people they're not just a fetus that you know once it's the time is right we'll you know assign a spirit or whatever it's it's like they are absolutely a person and the fact that the you know colton says she had brown hair they were able to she was able to describe he was able to describe his sister in her form as as well as a four-year-old can do said look kind of like his sister here on earth but with dark hair like his mom and the parents are so touched by that because they didn't have a dark-haired child, even though they had a dark-haired mother. So very interesting, very beautiful. If you would like to contact us for a question, a comment, or to share your experience, you can do so in three main ways. One is to uh, email podcast at gmail.com. The others to comment on the website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, on a particular uh, entry. Go ahead and just leave a comment. And we have had some trouble with people being able to con- uh, comment. So if you're having trouble, do the email. I'm going to see if I can figure out, maybe even add a plug-in that will make commenting easier. So it's just, it, so it's a little more seamless, because I know a lot of people have emailed or called and said, ah, I can't seem to leave a comment, I can't seem to register, and so forth. And you shouldn't have to register in order to comment. I'm not entirely sure what the register is for, except that it is nice because it, it allows me to have emails for people so I can maybe send out a newsletter once in a while when there's a special announcement or something. It might be cool to, uh, you know, once a week or once a month or something to email a favorite episode for any who are just listening occasionally and maybe just, you know, scan through and say, oh, this one looks good and, and listen to that. It might be nice to send out a newsletter that, you know, with my favorite episode of the month or whatever, um, I'll consider doing something like that. Anyway, the third way to contact is by calling 970-NDE-CAST and you will be given a three-minute time to leave your message and then if that's not enough call back and continue your message call back and continue your message call back as many times as it takes i don't think there's a limit on how many times it lets you call back if you find that there is please contact me so that i can let everybody know and uh i I should add uh, as a fourth possible way of contacting especially if you have an experience to share and it it's an entire hour long or you know whatever um just take a a recording on your phone or on something that can allow you or on your computer that can allow you to send it um whether it's mp3 format wave format video format whatever you know if you whatever you need to do to record it and then send it to me i've got plenty of tools to be able to uh, convert it into a, a a file format that I can add to the show 
I would love to hear from you. And I'll just say, I wouldn't be doing these shows if it weren't for all of you listening, all of you replying and, and telling me how much the show means to you. So thank you, all of you, so very much for listening. Thank you.